Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore, and uh, I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Scott Melson. Hello, sir. What's up, dude? What's up? Happy Friday. Happy freaking Friday, man. It's been a week. It's uh, it's Friday night in the big town. There's the potential for severe weather. Everyone is watching uh, watching the weather reports today, and uh, according to Oklahoma Mesonet, Altus just hit 100 degrees. Did you say so, Mesonet? Yeah, Oklahoma Mesonet. Is it Mesonet? I think it's Mesonet. Oh, maybe it's never Mesonet. heard Mesonet. I always say Mesonet, but maybe it's Mesonet. I've never even considered it being Mesonet. Mesonet actually makes more sense. Mesocyclone. Yeah. Meso, uh huh. Yeah. Miso sounds like a uh, mise in place, which I know is something that you uh, yeah, admire. Yeah. yeah, that's probably I I cook with miso and use mise en place, so maybe that's uh, maybe I said miso net. But uh, me- <laughs> Oklahoma miso net <laughs> says uh, Altus at a hundred degrees in the month of April. Ooh, golly! Yeah, Altus is a lot of things. Uh, hot is one of them. Yes, often agreed. frequently hot. Yes. Well, Scott, I'll tell you what, it's uh it's a good day to not be Brent Swadley. <laughs> I mean, right? Uh can I just, what do you think what do you think the word relationship means, Andy? <laughs> right? There's a there's a, a quote from a it's a quote from a movie uh, Love Actually where uh Hugh Grant is playing the prime minister of the UK talking about uh, the US and uh the the special relationship between the US and uh the U.S. and Great Britain, and he says, uh, "says I love that word relationship. Covers all manner of sins, doesn't it?" <laughs> <laughs> that is appropriate, right? So uh, I guess let's talk about it, and then we like factually, and then we'll add our editorial flair <laughs> to it. So, uh, listeners, by this point uh, that you're listening, you probably know because it's been literally in the headlines of every news outlet in the state for the last several weeks. Um, this whole deal that we've talked about in the last two episodes or three episodes about Swadley's barbecue, tourism, all that stuff, money, blah, blah, blah. Since last week, the contract has been terminated. And then today, Director Winchester resigned from the Department of Tourism. And the state filed suit against Swadley's. And the governor and, uh, and I guess Lieutenant Governor Pinnell was there, although I didn't see anything from him, held a what they called a press conference. It was a one-way conversation in which the governor said, uh, basically, I did not have sex with that woman. No, he said, <laughs> I did not know says, I, that No, 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 he doesn't say, I don't know. He says, he says, I do not have any relationship with Brent Swadley. <laughs> what the hell does that mean, right? Because what he specifically, to me, that is a very carefully worded way to say that. Because he's not saying he doesn't know Brent Swadley. He's not saying he's ever spoken to him. He's not saying he's never met him. He's saying I don't have any relationship with him. Right. And it's like, hey, Kevin, no one's accusing you of wanting to date Brent Swadley, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's not, like, what does that mean? I don't have any relationship with Brent Swadley. The, like, the fact that you don't have a relationship with Brent Swadley does not in any way mean that all of the uh, all of the allegations in this in this saga couldn't absolutely be true. That's true. Let's uh, let's listen to this in this uh, press conference. And let me be clear: I do not have any sort of relationship with Brent Swadley. I don't know Brent Swadley. Uh, I have no involvement in this contract. I feel like I've met all four million Oklahomans at some point and shaken hands in all 77 counties. Uh, but it's troubling to me to see someone using the governor's name uh, to manipulate the system or to try to get their way. All right, so there you have it. That's the, uh, that's the governor's own words and his own accent right there. So as we record this today, um, you know, the Twitter is going nuts sharing this information, including the lawsuit um, uh, from the state against Swadley's. Notable that the state is not using the Attorney General. Yeah, do we have any idea what the reasoning behind that is? I mean, I was not in the room. My hunch is the AG is running for election. Not re-election. He's not actually elected. but Sure. Um, he's running for an election right now. He might not want to touch it. Um, secondly... The attorney that they're using, this guy, uh, Randy Calvert is his name. Uh Um, I believe he is a registered Democrat. I haven't looked him up in the voter file myself, but that's what I heard. And I, I, maybe it's a way of them to like um, ensure that they don't want 
any scent of like a pay to play, right? Like, sure. Because what's basically happening is a, a gubernatorial appointee has resigned because contracts that the state signed under his watch with this entity, who's a huge donor to the governor, right? Mm-hmm. Like, have gone south. It's been found out, right? That yeah. like this whole corruption thing has happened, and they're like, oh, okay, we have to cut all ties. Go find us a Democratic attorney. we got to be above board on this deal because it's only getting worse uh-huh. unless we pull up. Sure, sure. That's interesting. And when we say, because I just saw this right before right before you got here, when we say that the state is filing suit, like what entity? Like is, I mean, obviously it's the state of Oklahoma, but like who made this decision? Is it the legislature? Is it the governor? Like who decides the state, like who decides the state is going to sue this person. Is it the AG's office and they're just using outside counsel? Is that because I think that's how it usually works, right? Is the AG's office decides the state is going to sue this person? I think so. I mean, I really don't totally understand. I'm sure that's a question that reporters would be looking into. On the actual petition, it says state of Oklahoma, comma, you know, Oklahoma Tourism and Recreation Department. So, like, that's the plaintiff. So it's the okay. So all right, all right. Is it's the department that signed the contracts is the one who is suing? Yes, Swanley. All right. Yes. So and, uh, yeah, and that's basically like the reasoning, right? It says you know on or about May fourth, twenty twenty, the plaintiff and defendant entered into a contractual arrangement. That's before the pandemic, mind uh-huh. you. Uh huh. About what? March fourth, twenty twenty. Oh, right before. Yeah. Like like the week before. Yeah. Yeah, a week or two before. Yeah. But still, this isn't a new thing. <clears throat> right. This has been going on for a while. Uh, and so, yeah. <laughs> the I love reading legal filings. Maybe I'm a big nerd, but it says, um, as a result of defendants knowing, reckless, and willful refusal to comply with its obligations and to provide an accounting, plaintiff has been damaged. Plaintiff being <laughs> the state, right? Plaintiff is entitled to full and complete accounting from defendant. Uh, and so... You know, because of you. Yeah. Right. So lots of. I mean, today's been a lot of a lot of feisty language. It really has, and there's something else that's happened with all this. Something that has not happened for five years, which is that the House of Representatives have formed a special investigative committee. This is not something that is usually done. This is a this is a, a, a special. Uh, a special uh, con- bipartisan convening of legislatures convened by the speaker. It'll be chaired by Representative Ryan Martinez of Edmond. Um, this is interesting because. Uh, our our normal committees, our our regular committee, the rules committee, right? The uh, yeah. the the budget committee. Um, people can come testify for them. They can invite people to come testify before them. Um, um, they're not obligated to hear testimony from the public, but they can. Um, but they don't have subpoena power, right? Mm-hmm. So like the oak the 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 House Budget A and B committee can't subpoena somebody if they want to. The special investigative committee can, mm-hmm. um, which means that whether they want to cooperate or not, um, involves parties like, <laughs> I don't know, Jerry Winchester, Gina DeMarco, Brent Swadley, the governor, the lieutenant right. governor, um, all of those people um, could be compelled to come give their knowledge uh, uh, of the facts of this to this House Investigative Committee. Something that is interesting to me, and I'm curious, so Lieutenant Governor Matt Pinnell is, uh, can we say Can we say he's a friend of the show? We've had him on at least once, if not twice. He's definitely a previous guest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, he, he's, uh, he, is, he is the, like, kind of nominal head of the tourism department, like in an advisory capacity, he doesn't actually have any like administrative role there. Um, it is just, and, and I, I mean, that must be the reason why it is just interesting as much as he's been like kind of the tourism guy for the last three and a half years. I don't feel like he's been named as being anywhere near any of this. Yeah. No. Right. Like, I mean, he, I mean, there was some questions and he pretty quickly came out and said, Hey, I don't have anything to do with this, right? Yeah, um, and I doubt he did, right? right. Like he, he's got other things to do. It is interesting, though. Aside from that, I mean, this so. It is interesting, though. Right now, this deal, Swadley's and everything else, is being investigated by the state auditor, right? 
OSBI, and now the legislature. Like, yeah. there's three concurrent investigations going on into this deal. Do we have the? Uh, do we have the like Law and Order? The like dunk dunk. <laughs> I feel like, yeah. like we should like insert that right yeah. here, right? It's <laughs> this was this. So it's um yeah I mean we'll see the 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 documents that were I saw them on Fox um, there's been a lot of reporting on them these documents that that talk about all all the quotes from Brent Swadley um, like you know talking well, and- about like you. There's politics at work here that you can't possibly understand. Talking yeah. to like state inspectors, saying Governor, this is a quote from Prince Wally. Governor Stitt asked me to put restaurants in all of his state parks. Right. So, but doesn't that sound like a man who is desperate to drop names? I mean, and sure. Flex some power he doesn't actually have. I mean, I mean, sure, but like. Is it a is it a stretch for me at all to believe that like there was a conversation between the governor and Brent Swalley where he was like, yeah, we should we should put some restaurants in the parks. Well, like, so that's a good question. I would guess, right? And the governor said he's doesn't have a relationship with him. They've probably met, and I would wager that because as I would wager they've met several times. Right. Well, I mean, right now people on Twitter are sharing screenshots of previous instances where Swadley's and the governor have been in the same place. For example, the help us keep the Georgia Senate seats red fundraiser. And this is uh, back in December, I guess, of 2020. Was it December of last year? I think it was December of 2020. Anyway, um, where Kevin Stitt, James Langford, Jim Inhofe were all there. And it was at Castle Falls Restaurant and Venue, I think here in Oklahoma. And this... Uh, the catering was provided by one Swadley's Barbecue, right? So, um, hosted by, you know, Carol Robert Hefner and all these other groups that I've never heard of, some roofing company. Um, but this was a big, I remember this being a big event, you know, leveraging Georgia to raise money for Oklahoma lawmakers. And it was a thousand to five thousand dollars per couple. Catered by Swadley's Barbecue. And I remember at the time, everyone does, being like, it's uh, a lot of money for a barbecue dinner. He does He does a lot of catering at the Capitol. He does. He was there like last week. Yeah. There was a lot of catering all, at the Capitol. All Capitol's going on. And then also, I mean, just two weeks ago, right? Uh, on April 15th, the governor's communications chief, right? Charlie Hanema, tweeted that picture that is now somewhat infamous saying... Like great, great day for a Winchester burger. Yeah, at Lake Murray, 10 out of 10. And a picture of it with the Swadley's logo. Now, this is... Scott, this is wild in a couple of ways. Well, I mean, well, kind of just say that this does this one. This shows that a significant portion of the governor's communication staff are actually just professional trolls, right? Like that's <laughs> right. Like he doesn't re, like he doesn't communicate. He doesn't he doesn't he doesn't meet with the press. He doesn't give interviews. He doesn't take questions at so-called press conferences. He doesn't have a comm shop. He has a like troll and own the libs Twitter shop, right? <laughs> like so, let's just throw that out there. That's <laughs> I mean, not entirely untrue. But secondly, it's this, entirely untrue. This it's is completely true. This is a this is a gubernatorial appointed official, right, or position, who is essentially hawking cheeseburgers for a private business, right? Like he's using his public salary and position to advocate support a private business. Now, we might see that happen in terms of like passing tax credits for Panasonic or something like that. But rarely do you see an individual elected official or uh, certainly an employee publicly on Twitter promote a private business that is currently being investigated by multiple state entities. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess if I saw someone doing that, if I saw someone doing that, my guess my question would be like, man, are they really like a professional or are they just like some guy? I mean, you know, like that's right. like like that's what, you know. But you know, whatever. That's fair. <laughs> like, is this is this really a professional like communications person? Like, is that is that like is that somebody that like is going to run like comms for a presidential campaign? Depends who the presidential campaign is. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Is he selling my pillow or certain mattresses from a <laughs> hotel bearing his name? Right. You know, 
Um, it's it is the whole thing is just and it does you know I, I mean I am I can sit here and like rag on the governor's comments people all day but like this makes you wonder. So last week was last week. I feel this is like especially at the end of session every day feels like it's a month long. Um, it was last week that they passed the lead act, right? So we're trying to yep. woo Panasonic. So we're trying, we're trying to woo Panasonic, right? In the time since we have passed this massive piece of legislation to try and, you know, uh, attract Fortune 500 companies to put, you know, manufacturing here and to put, to put business centers here or whatever, what has what has happened in Oklahoma politics since then? So one, this like scandal with the governor and corruption has like continued to like blow up, right? Yep. Two, we've passed a law that's um, even more restrictive regarding abortion than the laws that have already been passed over the past several years in Oklahoma, right? Um, three, we've passed we passed a bathroom bill yesterday, right? Bathroom bill, um, yes. right? We've passed, uh, or the House at least, has passed a joint resolution that'll go back to the Senate. Um, that would take a governor who's been mired in scandal and give him more direct power over the judiciary. Um, we had a very contentious uh, department or a board of education meeting yep. yesterday um, where one of the governor's appointees, Trent Smith, said literally, I'm appointed, he, I was appointed by the governor. I see my job on this board to do what the governor wants. Right. Like he said the quiet part out loud. Right. 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 Um, and so I don't know, man. Like, is a billion dollar subsidy enough to like get a company like Panasonic or any other company to come here? I mean, well, maybe it is. I don't know. But I, like, I mean, more importantly, right? Our state legislature has passed some of the most egregious draconian, just downright hateful yes. legislations yes. directed at LGBTQ youth. individuals, and youth, kids, right? Like, really, I mean, censorship of books, all this kind of stuff, right? Um, in the same week, Panasonic announced that they were a major supporter. They're, they're now becoming a major supporter of the Trevor Project, which provides mental health support uh, and resources and advocacy for LGBT youth in particular, right? Yeah. And so, what a juxtaposition, right? And right. so, if you know, when and whenever Panasonic makes their announcement, if they don't choose Oklahoma, I wonder if they might put out a message saying, "We're going with Kansas or Texas or wherever," and we're not taking to Oklahoma because, because of, of this. this. Yeah. And if that happens, man, that's. I feel like that's a big black eye on the right. governor, right? Yeah, I mean, I, and the well, legislature. the legislature. More right, than, both. Yeah. I mean, but, but both, though, right? I mean, like, the governor has made it clear that these things are priorities of his, right? So, um, you know, it's interesting. Um, I sent you, I don't know if you, I don't know if you read it yet, because I sent it to you, like, 5.30 this morning. Um, a, a really interesting piece that is, you know, talking about... Um, it, it was focused on Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida. Oh, you know, I did not read this. Um, I it's, saw it. It's, it's a really interesting piece. Um, and it's talking about Ron DeSantis in Florida um, and comparing him to Viktor Orban, who's the current president of Hungary. Um, mm. Is president or prime minister? I I forget. Yeah. I think he's the president. I'd have to you know, look at his exact title. But he's like... Scott, I'm surprised you don't know the governmental structure of Hungary. Well, it's parliamentary, but I forget if they have a president and a PM or just both. It's, parla it's parliamentary, my dear Watson. Yeah. Um, nice. nice. Um, uh, yeah, so he's the PM. Um, so he's the, he's the PM of, of, of Hungary. And he has become kind of a model of what some people, and I think it's a very a, a large and growing contingent of of the right in this country see for, um, and I don't want to say conservative because I don't think conservative is the right word for it. Um, he has become a model for uh, right, right-sided, right-spectrum, right, yeah, you know, right-wing, I guess, like governance, which is essentially creating this this narrative that there are cultural institutions like mm -hmm. the media, academia, you know, uh, universities, um, entertainment, um, 
industry even, that these are all cultural institutions that are dominated by the left and that those cultural institutions are trying to like steal something or change like something that's intrinsic to you know western or or right. in this case hungarian or in our case american like identity and that threat is so grave one that threat is grave and two the left's domination of those uh institutions um cannot be countered it can't be there's no undoing that so what you have to do instead that is used as justification for using the power of the state to maybe violate the constitution rig elections change voting laws right and so we have to do this because if we don't it's not fair right, right. the right. the left controls all this stuff so what we have to do is fight back using the power of the government by taking away vote by mail by taking away a uh, tax status for disney right by um you know trying to push back by creating laws about who can use which bathroom, by pulling books out of public schools. Mm -hmm. That's the quote-unquote the only way that we have to like fight the left. And so it's this guise of using... It's, it's this, this guise of like saying you have to like fight fire with fire when there's really not even like a battle, right? Right. And so um, that's what Ron DeSantis is doing very effectively in Florida. Yeah. Um, it's what a lot of people said that Trump would do. It's just that they found out that Trump was like, you know, not competent and smart enough to pull it off. Um, but it seems like, I don't know how much, I don't know how much, uh, Governor Stitt knows about Victor Orban, but that seems like what we're trying to do here. It's fear mongering. As well, right? Right. It's just right. fear mongering, right? It's, it's making a boogeyman that sounds scary that people will latch onto because it's an emotional argument. Right. Even if it's not a logical argument. Right. 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 Like, I mean, um, the legislature all the time bans things that aren't actual threats. Right. Right. And, and, and I think that a big part of this too, I think a big part of this is that they recognize, I mean, it hasn't happened yet, you know, but we'll, we'll know in a month or so. Um, I think, I think the expectation from, from many people, myself included, and then, you know, constitutional scholars and people that watch the Supreme Court much closer than I do, the expectation is the Supreme Court is going to overturn Roe, right? Um, and so states like Oklahoma will be free to ban abortion um, with as, you know, to, to whatever extent they want to. So then that becomes, if you are, if you're the right, okay, so now what, right? Right. That's been your singular, like, banning abortion and tax cuts have been your singular focus for, like, 30 freaking years, right? Right. Well, I don't know that taxes can, like, physically get any lower, right? I mean, I guess they could, but, right, even taxes are so low now that even even the Republican supermajority in, like, Oklahoma, the Oklahoma House and Senate is like, I don't, I don't know if we should cut taxes anymore, bro. Right. Right? Like, so we've reached our limit there. Abortion is going to be overturned. Right. What's so left? now? Now what? What do you have left? They got and, 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 and so and so. I well, think that I mean, a lot of this, like, I think that there. I think that a lot of this, like, this fear mongering over like LGBTQ youth, critical race theory, Black Lives Matter. It is. It is trying to create another. It is trying to create another. Yeah. Uh, an, another battle in this cultural war because that's all they have left. Like, that's all they have. Right. Right? Well, and, I mean, if they've, you know, they feel like they lost some of these things, and now they got a few wins under their belt, they're going back to things they lost, right? Right. I, I honestly, I thought about this this morning. I was washing some dishes this morning, and if you'd asked me six months ago if I thought that LGBTQ rights would be under threat, you'd say, no, we said that's no, a subtle I thought issue. that was a settled thing. Right. Right. Hasn't our society moved past this? Right. Most of the rest of the world has. Right. And yet here we are, right. dicking right. around about who pees where. Right. The other thing is, and the, the other thing is, that this is also what you see, and now this is obviously not the case in Oklahoma, but at a national level, this is what you see from a party who knows that, one, to retain power, they only need a minority of people. Because the structure is designed to protect that minority. Right. And so they are, they are taking more and more and more steps to entrench that structure yes. so that they can retain more power with fewer votes. Yeah. Right. right. And, and, they're, and they are using the culture war 
as the vehicle for why that that structure is that entrenchment of that structure is necessary. Yes. And what I think is interesting, Scott, is that we are starting to see in small areas fissures even within that party, right? Because um, you know, when you use a tool like that, when you benefit from this like a, a large structural cleaving of society, at some points, like the monster gets more powerful, right? And so yeah. you, you see as as one example, closed primaries, right? So in Oklahoma, um, the we have a we have a partially closed primary system. It is up to the parties to decide if they want to only let members of their party vote in the primary or if they want to open it up to other people. The way it has been for the last several years or several cycles is that the Democratic Party allows independents to vote in the Democratic primary. The Republicans and the Libertarians only let Republicans and Libertarians in their respective parties, right? So it's like a mostly closed system. That also like promotes, I think, this belief that independents are all liberal, which is not the case. A good number of independents in Oklahoma are probably conservative. Most of the ones that I know are more conservative than liberal. But they only get to vote in the Democratic right. primaries, right? And that means that those, we'll say, moderately conservative or who knows, whatever, independents don't have a chance to cast a vote in the Republican primaries. And thus, they don't have the opportunity to moderate those elections. And so primary elections continue to become more and more partisan, more and more fringe, farther and farther right, farther and farther left in some ways. And that means that the old Chamber of Commerce, like fiscal conservative, but perhaps socially liberal Republicans, have been weeded out. And we saw this year, we're seeing this year, I don't know if it's record, but a number of Republicans not seek re-election because they don't want to face some fringe candidate that's trying to primary them because they can't out-conservative some of these people, right? right? Like, when people have no morals, when they are unmoored to some kind of societal norm and they're just willing to say anything, right? The comments from John Bennett this this week about... that guy. You know, he's, like, he's lost it even for him. Right. I mean, he's way out there, right? And like threatening violence in all kinds of ways. And it's just terrifying and honestly sad. I mean, did you, did you see me that the, he said that he said that Anthony Fauci should be tried and then put in front of a firing squad? Yes. So that tells you, I mean, one, I mean, he doesn't actually think he should be tried, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It doesn't count if you're like the outcome of the trial will be execution. Right. Then like that's not a trial. Well, he's, right? he's assuming everyone sees the world the way he does. Right. Which is not the case. Um, you know, it, it is astonishing to me. And I think we've talked about this on the show before. Um, I know you and I have talked about it before. And this is, I've been spending a lot of time with this. It is astonishing to me how much... You know, especially like during COVID, right? Like, um, people talked about, like, liberals or Democrat people that are don't want to live in fear of the virus or, like... I mean, of the two major, like, political movements or parties in this country, I don't see the Democrats as the ones that are dominated by fear, right? Like... Oh, right. Right? It is astonishing to me that, like, the... The party of like America and like I would die for my country, or at least this is the like this is the I, I that's a bad way to put it because there are obviously people on both sides of the aisle who have sacrificed like blood and and, yeah. and lives for the United States, but like these people that are like very militant about like guns and fearlessness and like kick somebody's ass or whatever, right? Are like. They're the party that's afraid of everything. Right. Right? If you're not afraid, why do you need 30 guns and live in the woods kind of thing? I mean, right? Like, I'm just like... Yeah. You know. Well, and... I don't... I just... It's just... And it's... It's... You know, I mean, it's similar, like, how much of when... Like, when this is... You know, we've talked religion and, and stuff before on the show. Um, but, how, like, how much of, like, Christianity in the U.S. is, like, dominated by fear? Which is, like... Mm. The opposite of what you're supposed to be as a Christian, yeah. I think, right? Like, well, I mean, both of us grew up in the church. I mean, we right. had this conversation probably on the podcast and certainly offline. Yeah, yeah. It's um, 
I frequently feel, especially these days, that the lessons I learned in church are not what's being taught now. Like, it's a whole different narrative. I mean... I thought it was about humility and forgiveness and loving thy neighbor. I haven't uh, been to a traditional church in a really long time, so I, I don't know, but I, I suspect you're right. That's certainly what it seems like. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, I attended uh, a local life church campus for most of 2015, I think. That was probably the most recent spell that I was in church, and it was not about fear. It wasn't really about faith a whole lot either. It was uh, good music. But um, <laughs> uh, not not to be disparaging as Life Church, that's just their. I think everyone listening has probably been or knows their model. Um, to back, I want to finish my thought about primaries, though. Yes, yes, I didn't mean to. No, to you're fine. That. I um, just want to like put a fine point on the fact that our closed primary system promotes extremism, right? And what yes. Oklahoma should do is repeal closed primaries, and we should repeal closed primaries and move towards open primaries, uh, which is what we see from states that have, honestly, just better outcomes. Not everybody, but um, by and large, the states that let all voters vote, you end up with better outcomes. And it makes voters feel more engaged. And if, you know, as I've said on the show and in the world many times, either you want everybody to vote or you don't. And if you right. do, you do everything you can to make it easier for them to vote. Right. And I strongly think that that's the way we should go. We should we should repeal closed primaries. And in fact, Senator Lonnie Paxton had a bill this year that would do just that. Um, Did it get heard? It didn't get heard. Yeah. Um, but I'm proud of him for running it. So Paxton was the chair of the uh, Senate Redistricting Committee. So obviously we're on opposite sides of how that happened. Um, but I really appreciated that he uh, he did that. I need to send him an email, actually. I haven't sent him a thank you email for doing that bill. But I was a little bit surprised, and I think, I suspect, knowing him, the little bit that I do, that that was probably prompted by the fact that he doesn't like having to try to be more extreme, right, just to win an election. He's someone who strikes me as someone who, like, cares about a state and would generally like to govern it in a way that is responsible and equitable and somewhat fair for most people. Um, and close primaries is not the way to do it. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else? That's a good question. I'm trying to scroll through here. I, I will say, Scott, not all uh, local news websites are created equal. That is a factual statement. They're all kind of annoying in their own way, but some are definitely better than others. So I guess, um, you know, thus far we haven't seen a response from Brent Swadley about this whole deal, right? I mean, I, I also, uh, the governor and I have this in common. I do not have a relationship with Brent Swadley, so I can't, uh, I can't uh, you know, know what he's doing. I think that if I was Brent Swadley, I would have found myself a lawyer about this time. And I could be wrong, but I think that lawyer probably would have told me, stop talking to anyone. Right. <laughs> like, don't stop saying anything to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> so, so maybe, there, maybe that's the, maybe he got found a lawyer and that's the reason for his silence. Yes. <laughs> Shut up. Stop talking. Um, that's exactly right. So I, I, another thing that, uh, has been a big deal, especially for our listeners down in Norman, um, is this issue of turnpikes, right? And I think we've talked about this before. The well, we talked about Chairman Wallace running a bill to move these, build these turnpikes down there. Uh, so this week on Tuesday, the Turnpike Authority uh, approved taking out a two hundred million dollar line of credit with Wells Fargo to pay for engineering expansion or construction of toll roads in advance of what would estimate to be a $5 billion statewide expansion. I was like, $200 million does not seem like very much. Not for roads. <laughs> if it was in my account, it would feel like a whole lot. We could run Let's Fix This for a long time on $200 that's, million. Uh, that's Mitt Romney money. <laughs> that's Mitt Romney money. So um, the 
Council of Bond Oversight, which is a council I didn't know existed until I read about this. It's the state treasurer and some other members appointed by the governor and the speaker and the pro tem. Um, they've twice now postponed review of the $5 billion request since that expansion was announced back in February. The hearing is coming up on May 4th now. Um, this whole program is called Access Oklahoma. The governor supports it. It includes those new turnpikes like South OKC, Moore, Norman, expansion of the Kilpatrick over, you know, like farther south. Basically, the governor wants to build uh, a, a full loop around Oklahoma City. He didn't, you know, he's from Tulsa, so he doesn't really sure. understand how things work down here. But um, the, and then, you know, some other improvements to the state's system. Obviously, uh, as I think most of us know, the residents of Norman are very upset about this because yeah. there was no public consultation about this. He just was like, they, you know, the, the plan came out and said, boom, here's the turnpikes. As it turns out, those turnpikes go through the only place in the entire world where rose rocks exist, yep. Yep. Uh, which is our state rock. It seems like what a stupid thing to do to like destroy something that is already acknowledged by your state as being special. And it's the only place in the world where you find it. Not yes. the only place, like, not just the only place in Oklahoma. The only place in the world. Right, the whole world. Um, and then uh, it also, like, displaces a ton of people and property. And normally there's all these, like, reports and assessments that have to happen before these kind of plans are approved. And none of those have been done. Uh, no environmental impact, none of this stuff. Kind of like, the way that all the fire inspections were done at the barbecue joints. Oh, yes, exactly. Kind of like, like that. It's very similar. So um, this the whole this whole thing is really odd. Where they're like, okay, the people don't want these turnpikes. The legislature like pulled some of the bills. They're like, oh, we're not doing this. Okay, but there's still a hearing about this five billion dollar bond request, which I think at this point will be denied. Right. But they took out a two hundred million dollar. Well, they approved. They're taking out of a $200 million line of credit. And it's like, and maybe they're just like, listen, we got to do some of these things in case it passes, but just we're putting the cart before the horse. How many foggy bottom kitchens do you think you can build for $200 million? Well, if you want to do the math, like about 10. Wow, that's not very many. <laughs> I guess, to be fair, they spent $16 billion, or $16 million on... How many? Seven? Something like that, yeah. Okay, so 70. That's a lot more. <laughs> um, we're still waiting on the actual price of the... Uh, How uh, many Winchester burgers can you buy for $200 million? Not, you know. <laughs> I, Scott, I'll be honest. Uh, I think this is going the right direction where they closed everything down. They put you know tarps over the signage and all that stuff, which feels like... It reminds me of the day that they removed the Ten Commandments monument from right. the Capitol. right. right. Under darkness, the right. like, right. helicopter lights shining right. on, watch them do it. Um, but anyway, I uh, was going to propose to you that we record today at uh, Roman Nose at one of the state parks and go have a burger and record while we're there. <laughs> but they close them down too quickly. We don't. We don't get to go. I do honestly we can offer the let's fix this review of the Winchester burger. You know what we should do is we should uh, visit either a local. Uh, barbecue establishment, or uh, speaking of burgers, we should do our live event at New State again, like I mean, we did we before. Definitely should. I think uh, we may know a guy. We do. Yeah, we did a, lot, a live show there before. That was a lot of fun. If we can find a day where it's not as uh, windy, that would I'm be nice. I'm saying, right? You know, one other thing that kind of slipped under the radar for me because it's not in my part of the state, but it's uh, up in Mays County, which is where prior is um, the county commissioners there approved a TIF district that's a tax increment financing, financing district um, for the Mid-America Industrial Park yes which is somewhat infamous now because of canoe and potentially Panasonic indeed um, so this uh, deal is like a 300 million dollar tax increment financing deal um, where a bunch of it would uh, basically go to like help fund infrastructure needs. I'm assuming like you know, water and sewer and electricity and those kinds of things. And then um, 150 million would go to schools, Votech, other local entities that rely on property taxes to fund their operations. 
Uh, and this is all because basically the way that a TIFF works, I think, Scott, you can correct me. I uh, will not be able to correct you. <laughs> but I think it's basically like uh, TIFFs allow like government entities to use a portion of property taxes that are generated within the district to invest in the district's infrastructure. Um, so rather than those those tax dollars going into the general fund to be sprinkled around the county or whatever, it like keeps that money there. So like if a if a TIF district is created and then they generate a ton of property tax value, right? So let's say Oh, I don't know. An electric vehicle manufacturer builds a big plant there. Suddenly the value of that land goes up or that property. The taxes they pay on that land then get reinvested into that local area for schools, for roads, for, you know, sewer, water, electricity, all those things. Because obviously there's going to be a higher need for it. It's a way to kind of keep that. Now that might uh, come at the exclusion of that money being elsewhere in the county, right? So it, it helps right. that local area but not the county at right. large. And the thought process is, is that by investing in the infrastructure within those districts, you will promote further development. That development will lead to higher property values, more property taxes. And so it's by investing here, we're ultimately going to generate higher tax revenues for the county as, as a whole. Yeah. Um, is the way that it's supposed to work. Right. Um, you know, there's been, I think, a lot of debate about how effective these are. And I think there's, I think you can point to data that shows they work really well, and you can point to data that shows they don't. I think it depends on the district and how it's designed and what does or doesn't go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on a totally unrelated note, um, the director of OMA, the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority, uh, Ad, uh, yeah, Adria Berry, said that, this is in a Tulsa World article, that a lot has changed in their sector and they're kind of stepping up. Things are getting better. Um, OMA has doubled their staff from 100 to 200, which means they've got like more field inspectors across the state that they didn't have before. Um, they didn't have near enough, so now that's out there. And then I think they've passed that seed to sale program that will basically track individual plants from seed to sale. Uh, which should cut down, I think, on like illegal activity. Um, what basically means like illegally grown weed can't get in to be legally sold. Right. And in theory, you wouldn't, I think you have to account for how many seeds and plants and whatever you have, so you wouldn't be selling on the side in the black market as well. Uh, and so, I mean, that'll be interesting. I've heard that um, the the seed to sale program might result in higher prices for customers. But I don't know. I, I've also heard like um, the, you know, the price of weed is legal. Weed is like super cheap. You can get, I saw a billboard the other day for like joints for a dollar or 99 cents, something like that. And people are like, Oh, we're not making any money. And it's like, yeah, but I also saw like another billboard cause there's billboards everywhere. Right that talks about how much some of this stuff costs. And it seems like it would be a lot. Like, I don't understand the, the finances of this, but there's a lot of gray area. Like right. It seems like it should either be super lucrative and based on the number of businesses around, it seems that way. Also, they're all cash only because of federal law. And so maybe that's part of the deal, but very curious. We should have uh, someone like Ryan Kiesel on the show to talk about where things are at. I think he's involved with one of the initiative petitions mm. for like uh, legal full legalization. Yeah, recreational, yeah. adult use recreational. I think they don't have to say legalization, they have to say adult use recreation. Scott, the other thing that happened this week was hearings on candidate challenges. Candidacy challenges. Yes, yes. Did you I watch did, any of this on Tuesday? I, I did not get to watch any of it. The main thing I saw was that uh um Sean Roberts, uh, not the Patriot Roberts, but Sean Roberts will be allowed to remain on the ballot, but he's not allowed to have the Patriot on the ballot. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so I think we talked about that on a previous episode. Um, we talked about but that was this week that that got determined, right? Yes, yes right. Yeah. We talked about how we thought that would happen, and indeed, it did. He's on the ballot, but he is not the Patriot. It was funny because uh, 
injured, current labor commissioner, Leslie Osborne, she had former AG Hunter be her representative yeah. or counsel for that. And then she called like Representative Chris Kennedy was one of yeah. her like witnesses or whatever. Yeah. It feels like a pseudo court kind of thing they do up bit. there. Uh-huh. But I was like, you have representation? Because like Emily Virgin represented somebody else. Cindy Munson. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was just like, I guess she's an attorney. This all makes sense. But yeah. it seemed very odd. But it was uh, <laughs> very funny because uh, uh, Roberts was like, one of his items he entered into evidence was like a birthday card he received from somebody that said like you are the patriot. And he's like, look, I yeah, I go by this, yeah. And so that's that's pretty funny. Um, I think on the whole, there was like seventeen hours of hearings, and at the end of the day, only three candidates were stricken from the ballot. Two of which did so voluntarily. Like one of them. <laughs> One of them... Uh, I wasn't going to win anyway. <laughs> well, they, they allege that the incumbent did not live in the district. And then when they got to the opening remarks of the day, they said, I'm really sorry for wasting everyone in this room's time. And then they didn't show up for their actual hearing. So like, <laughs> That's amazing. They just like, were like, oh, whoops, I'm busted, I'm out. Um, otherwise, I think everybody else is on the ballot. There wasn't any... Sure. Uh, we mentioned... In the Democratic run for Langford seat, Jason Bollinger was challenging the candidacy of Madison Horn, saying that she didn't actually live here. Um, they both had um, representation. I think Madison Horn's uh, attorney was Brian Ted Jones, who was ah, yeah, a friend of the right. show. Yep. Um, and then Jason's attorney was someone at Crow and Dunleavy, also friends of the show. And so, anyway, um, it all sorted out. Everyone's on the ballot. Yeah. Yahoo. The last thing, do we have anything else? There's only one other thing I was going to mention. Go for it. Um, just so this is a uh, in, in memoriam. Uh, we did have a, a loss this week um, of former Seminole Nation Principal Chief uh, Enoch Kelly Haney, um, who died last weekend. Um, Chief Haney ha- was a state senator uh, for several years. I, th- I think he was there for the full 12, for his full 12 years. Um um, he was a principal chief of the of the uh, of the Seminole Nation. He also uh, was a prolific uh, native artist. Uh, if you've ever driven by the Capitol and looked at the statue that adorns the top of the dome, uh, Chief Haney was the artist behind that statue. So, uh, Governor Stitt appropriately has ordered that uh, uh, state and American flags be flown at half staff from 5 p.m. today until 8 a.m. Monday uh, to honor the passing of Chief Haney. Yeah, I I didn't know Chief Haney, but the remarks that I've seen from those who did are truly moving. Yeah. Um, so um, that is a big loss for our state. Well, uh, Scott, the one thing we didn't really address this week, and I think um, we probably need to get some additional perspectives on this, um, is the issue of abortion. Golly, we passed yet another anti-abortion bill, I guess today or yesterday, Thursday, this week. This is like the third one this session, all of which have billed themselves as a total ban on abortion. Right. right. This one is modeled after the one in Texas that adds like the the bounty, right? right? Where in theory people could, you know, call in their neighbor for saying they drove their wife to get an abortion and their neighbor could be fined $10,000. Well, minimum. Like, minimum, right. Yeah. Um, the bill is is already in litigation as we knew it would be. It's unconstitutional and many violates the equal protection clause and the separation of powers and all kinds of. It's like a just a mess. I talked to several attorneys; they all said, "Oh, it's a mess." Do all of those attorneys that think it's unconstitutional and a mess think that the Supreme Court of these United States will agree that it is an unconstitutional mess? I think they. Uh, I don't want to speak for those attorneys. I'll just answer for me. I think everyone they'll probably like put a stay on it. Um, or uh, injunction, like, and put it on hold, pending SCOTUS ruling on this other case that would affect Roe, right? And if it Dobbs, yeah, and if if Roe gets overturned, we're back to the wild west here. I mean, right? Which I, it seems increasingly like what's going to happen. So. Yeah, I guess we'll just end up with states where it's legal yeah. and state where it's not. Yeah. And then the next, like, at least one of the next battles is going to be uh, Missouri has tried to do this. Idaho has tried to do this. I think some others. Um, there are states that are trying to say not only is it illegal to get an abortion in our state, 
but if you live in Missouri, it is against the law for you to travel to another state to get an abortion while you live in Missouri. I don't see how you can possibly say that that's constitutional, but you know, whatever. You know, I, mean, I don't. I mean, not whatever, but like I, 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 I don't know anymore. Like, um, right, right. Like I, I don't, I don't know anymore how much like what seems like a settled, you know, settled, established law like matters. Yeah. You know, you know what that reminds me of, Scott, is... Um, Handmaid's Tale? Well, maybe I haven't watched that. Oh. But it reminds me of, um, from what I've heard, yes. But I sent you a picture this week. Uh, I have some relatives that are Iranian. And I um, saw a picture of their Iranian passports, right, from yeah. Iran. And at the bottom, it says it in uh, Arabic. but then Farsi. It, yeah, Farsi. And then at the bottom, uh, it said in English. And it said, basically, like... The bearer of this passport is, is not allowed to travel not to Israel to, travel to uh, the occupied Palestine. Yeah, right. They didn't even say Israel; they just said the occupied Palestine. But the idea that that a state would try to prevent their own residents from going somewhere else for healthcare, right, is, uh, golly, that's like a level of autocracy, and yeah. that I just yeah. would not have imagined even a year ago. Yeah. Two yeah. years ago. It's really frightening in lots yeah. of ways. On that note. <laughs> yeah. I guess that brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, listeners, thanks for hanging with us. I, I, If this episode sounded a little uh, Debbie Downer, that's because this week was pretty, a lot Debbie Downer. Pretty, it was a pretty difficult, Debbie Downer. difficult yeah. week um, for a lot of people in Oklahoma. Uh, listeners, though, I please don't give up. It is difficult, but hope is not lost. A quote that I think of often from Dr. Martin Luther King, the moral arc of the universe is long and it bends towards justice. Wherever we are on that arc, um, it feels like it's bending the other way right now. Um, I trust that is not the case. We will get there. You are not alone. We are not alone. We're in this together. And I guess remember that decisions are made by those who show up. Have a good week.